As I look across the audience this morning, it is so good to see you here, and yet you probably, like I, have a sense of a large void right here. I I was uh, remiss earlier in not explaining the reason for that void. If you haven't been in Northside a long time, you know that this time of year, uh, Martin Luther King weekend is usually when our teens head south to Arlington, Texas for a weekend at Winterfest with about 5,000 other teens. It's an amazing weekend. We've seen a lot of life change and a lot of good coming out of that. In fact, Mike just texted me this morning to let me know that a young man by the name of Jeremiah Thompson, a guest who had gone with another one of our teens, gave his life to Christ this or yesterday evening and was put him on in baptism. So I think that's a wonderful thing and fits right in with what we're going to talk about today. And we are in 2016 talking about this idea of strong and courageous, looking specifically about how God transitioned the leadership of Israel and, and the, the principles that he needed them to understand. And not just Israel, but also Joshua as the leader of those people as he transitioned from Moses taking the reins to him taking the reins. We talked about that last week, and we're going to spend the next couple of weeks in this series called Strong and Courageous, with our theme verse being Joshua chapter 1, verse 9, which if you're in your Bibles, uh, you'll turn there, and it says, <clears throat> God there says, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord God will go with you wherever you go. And last week we said that the whole idea of being strong and courageous is that the, on the one side, you've got to be strong. You've got to be firm and resolute. You've got to be grounded in the rock. You've got to stand firm. But on the other side, you have to be willing to stick your neck out. You have to be willing to get out there. You have to be willing to be courageous, to take hold of land that you have not yet taken hold of. You've got to be strong and courageous. In other words, stand firm, but don't stand still. Do what God has called you to do. This week, we are talking about this second idea that God wants us to stick to the book. The question for you this morning, when you break out a game, a board game or any type of new game with your family, or maybe going to a social event, there's this new game, how do you handle the instructions? There's lots of different ways for people to handle the instructions. There's, there's the people who obsess over the instructions. Uh, they are the people who get out the, the, the instructions. They're going to read them exactly word for word, front to back, read every rule, understand every nuance, every possibility of the game. And they understand the game perfectly. The only problem is they never get around to playing the game. They're obsessed over the instructions. There are some people who uh, like to modify the instructions. They say, well, you know, we don't play this. This is what it says, but that's not really the way we play at our house. As an example, if you play the game Monopoly, uh, if you're familiar with the free parking rule, okay, the free parking rule is, you know, whenever you pay, have to pay a fine or a fee in Monopoly, instead of putting it to the bank, you just put it right in the middle of the game board. And when you get to the free parking spot, the lucky soul who lands there gets whatever's in the middle. Well, that's actually not a rule in the official rule book of Monopoly. So it makes the game take a lot longer. That's all right. It's a modified rule. It's one that I love. (laughs) Never getting so excited about free parking in my life. But we sometimes we modify the rules. And then finally, there are people who just ignore the rules. They don't care about the rules. These are people like, I don't need instructions. And it doesn't really apply just to games. It applies to a lot of things. 
Um, my beautiful bride, uh, God bless her, she never re- met a recipe she couldn't modify. And me, I'm a little more like, stick to the recipe. And she's like, no, I just, you know, what happened to the paprika? I don't want paprika, so we don't add it. She's always modifying. She's always working on it. She's always making it something uh, that she can make her own. And some people just ignore the rules entirely. Some people say, I can figure this out on my own. Uh, men tend to be that way. I don't, I don't need instructions. I'll just figure it out one way or the other. This can be dangerous, by the way, if you're ever trying to assemble IKEA furniture. Well, I'm not sure exactly how you approach the instructions, but when God was giving instructions to Israel, he gave some specific instructions. And he told Joshua, if you're going to be a good leader, then you have to do some things. And and we're going to look at those things this morning because I think it, it just fits hand in glove with who we are striving to be at Northside. So I hope that uh, we can take some of these principles that God gave to Joshua and look at and apply them here in our own lives and at the Northside family. Turn to Joshua chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, which Kevin just read for you. There, the, the scripture says, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to the land that I swore to their forefathers to give them. Now, remember, this promise isn't a new promise. God had promised it long ago, but he was going to fulfill it using different characters. Be strong and courageous, verse 7. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. We understand God's instructions. We understand that we have to follow them. And we're... God gave Joshua three principles that we're going to look at. First of all, we have to follow them thoughtfully. If we look at the Word of God, uh, one of the biggest misunderstandings that we get on Know Your Bible is people don't understand a very simple division of the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, we believe all of the Bible, believe all of it was God-breathed, but... We're in a covenant that is under the New Testament. The Old Testament was written for our teaching and for our example, Scripture says. But it's not something that's binding. It, we don't have to make the animal sacrifices. We don't worship with incense and with instruments. We are worshiping under the New Testament. People will ask questions and they'll say, well, what about this verse back here? And we'll say, well, that was written to the people of Israel under their covenant for them at that time. But when Jesus Christ paid the price on the cross, Scripture says in Colossians that he nailed this, the old part, uh, to the cross. Jesus would say, I didn't come to abolish this. I came to fulfill it. What that means is he met all the legal requirements. The hard part about living any part in the Old Testament is that if you want to live under the old law, you got to keep all of it. It's not just a pick and choose kind of thing. Now, some people say, well, I, I like these verses in the Bible and not these. Well, listen, if you're going to live under the scripture of the Old Testament, especially, you got to take all of it. Or you have to accept that Jesus fulfilled all of it. And therefore, we're not bound by the old way of the written code, but that we are given a new law. The law of the spirit, the law of freedom found in the New Testament. And so we understand as we think about the word of God, we have to understand 
where in Scripture we are concerning what covenant we're under. Obedience is not accidental. It doesn't just happen. You have to give thought to it. You have to decide that you're going to obey the words of God. Secondly, you have to be able to apply them consistently. God's instructions, there are some verses in there, in that book, that I can look at and say, all right, yeah, we got to observe that one. You know why? Because it's very easy for me to obey. I already got that one. It's not a problem for me. And, and, and that's great. I'm not saying we should disobey that, but we need to look more importantly at the scriptures that we don't agree with, that we're not aligned with, that we're not paying attention to. Another way of saying this is when your opinion disagrees with the word of God, your responsibility is to change your opinion as quickly as possible. We live in a culture today that says, well, I don't know about God's word. That's an old book centuries ago. They didn't understand all the all the things that we understand now. Listen. All of our problems started when God with the the serpent whispered into the Eve, Eve ears of Eve, did God really say? When he whispered that, he planted that seed of doubt in her mind, which led to her heart, which led to her mouth, partaking of the fruit that God forbade. Don't let the enemy fool you. He's been pulling that one a long time. Did God really say? So we have to be not just thoughtful, but we have to apply the word of God consistently in our lives. Not just the parts that we like, but especially the parts that we don't like. And finally, we have to hold on to it. The scripture says, don't turn to it from the right or the left. If I could illustrate this like this, I put the word of God right here in the middle. Now, uh, if you think about sort of not getting into politics, but just... As a general observation, if you say someone is to the right of something, you mean a certain set of things. If you say somebody's to the left of something, then you mean another set of things. In the religious world, when we say, here's the word of God, but I kind of, I'm to the right of it, that typically applies to conservatism. As there were people back in Jesus' day that said, well, you know, this, the law says, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. But, you know, we don't exactly know what constitutes work, so we ought to make some rules. We ought, to, we ought to tell people exactly how far they can walk on a Sabbath day, exactly what constitutes work on a Sabbath day. And so because of their understanding of the word, they made all of these traditions and lists and rules in addition to the word. And Jesus never was okay with that. He said, you... You Pharisees, you intentionally get to the point where you revere your traditions and your lists more than the book. Don't turn to the book to the right. Don't add the things that you think make sense to you. Stick to the book. Think about it carefully as you apply it. Interpret it. Let the word speak for itself. In, in our Bible reading this week, our 90-day plan, you read Matthew chapter 15. He got right on to the Pharisees. He said, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your traditions. 
Now, it's easy for us to get into that. We can, we can start holding things that we do as equal to the Word of God. And what we need to always do is keep ourselves in check with the Word of God. But there are also those who are on the left of the Word. The people, I would say, are probably more liberal. And they are... They say, well, the scripture is good. It's a good guideline. Jesus was a good moral teacher. But, you know, there's some things in there that that just really I don't like. And I, you know, there's some verses in there that bother me and they're just not politically correct and they just don't make me feel happy. So I I'm just going to ignore those words. That's not good either. There's lots of people today You can pull them up on YouTube, the videos where people very intellectually, very seemingly wise, explain basically why that can't mean what it says. And we don't want to go there either. In Jesus' day, there was a group of people called the Sadducees. And despite understanding and believing in the law, they didn't believe in one of the most fundamental parts of the law, and that is the resurrection. They said, you know, that doesn't, we can't reason that out. That doesn't make sense. That's not logical to us. And so we're going to ignore it. And I think, in my opinion, every age has had its Pharisees standing to the right, its Sadducees standing to the left. And God has always instructed his people, you stick to the book. And especially the leaders of the people stick to the book. Let the word Speak for what it uh, say, what it says and mean what it means. Let it speak where it speaks and be silent where it's silent. Stick to the word. Now, that's easy to say. But sometimes when the word intersects with our life, when the word intersects with something, I believe. Then we get offended. And then we think, well, I'm going to go find a church where they where they'll make some more lists that I like or will they will they ignore some of the words that I don't like. And if you want to be a church of God, if you want to be a church of Christ. You got to stick to his book. Let his words instruct you, let his words guide you, nothing more, nothing less. So how do we do this? We, how do we follow them thoughtfully, apply them consistently, and hold on tightly? How do we stay right on the word, not adding to, not taking away from? I'm going to give you three that I think will help. First, we internalize the, the instructions. We've got we to gotta not just think about them on Sunday morning and hear someone else teach them and, or preach them, but this book has to go in our hearts. That's why the scripture talks so much, not just about reading, but about meditating. And meditating is this idea that we kind of chew on it. If somebody gives you an idea and you've never heard it before and you think, i got to think about that one, that's meditating on it. Well, the scripture says that we should be that way with the word. Uh, we have been having great success with the Northside 90-day program. Many of you have been posting pictures and sharing some of your different things that you're doing. That is so good. The greatest part about that is hopefully that you're internalizing the Word. That we want this book, its truth, to settle right here. Because when it settles here, then that begins to change us. And when the Word begins to change us... 
then we begin to change. And we begin to change our world. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 9. You probably are familiar with these scriptures. It's not an uncommon one. But I want you to think again about what God is trying to say. Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 through 9. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and your gates. If you look at all the ways that God prescribes for internalizing the word, impress them, talk about them, tie them as symbols, bind them, write them. He's saying it's got to be something that is it's an interaction with your life, that you're repeating it over and over again. Bible reading programs can be difficult because, well, I mean, it's. Especially the older you get in Christ, the more likely you are to have read those words. And sometimes when you read those words, you think, well, I've read this. so I just got to skim through it or I don't really need to read that. I've read it once. But reading it once is is not going to give it the power that God's word can have if you'll read it again and impress it upon your heart. So read it and meditate on it. In Psalm chapter 1, Psalm chapter 1 tells us the story of two men, the righteous and the wicked. And in speaking about the righteous man, the blessed man, he says this, His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season. Whatever he does, I'm sorry, whose leaf does not wither, whatever he does prospers. That's interesting to me because I think if we read the Word of God and meditate on it, we're on the edge of receiving a promise from God that we'll be successful in whatever we do. Now, it may not be financially. It may not be uh, immediate But for the man or woman of God who's sincere about following the word of God, when we meditate on that word, it brings something in our life that gives us success. Number two, discuss them. Teach and tell your children. I've I've learned this a lot as we are on day eight of the 90-day program. And and I'm, I'm working through this personally And I'll just be kind of honest, there are some parts in reading through the Bible that brings up things I'm not sure I want to discuss with my 5 and 10 year old. As we sit around the table and Jesus is talking about adultery, and Christy and I were talking about that, gosh, you know, I'm not sure that, that just, ah, kind of an awkward position as a parent. And then I thought about that, and then I meditated on that, and I thought, you know what? 
The world is after my five and ten year old. And they want to teach him about adultery. They want to teach him about homosexuality. They want to teach him about transgender. And they want to say that's all okay. And you better believe they're working on them as soon as they hit kindergarten. And if we are not sitting around the dinner table discussing the word of God and what God's plan has always been, how will they know? God, God forgive us when we take, we, we, Step back from our responsibility as parents and grandparents and mentors to read the word of God with our children, to discuss it with them, to ask them what they think about it and to remind them of what God has done in our lives. It's not just about reading it personally. It's about reading it and discussing it and meditating on it as a family. You know, for the longest part of human history, we haven't been able to have the convenience of the prevalence of books. We live in a time now where it's so easy to get a book. We just presume that's. But for the most longest period of history, how the word was passed down was by one generation telling another generation. Please don't forget that the world is after your children and your grandchildren. And they need to hear the word of God. I was talking to Mary Allen, and she, of course, teaches the the kindergarten class and does a great job. And she was expressing this difficulty. And I said, you know, the Bible is a very honest book. It's very honest about the depravity and wickedness of human beings. And it's very honest about the goodness and salvation of the Lord. And it has to have both stories within the same book. So don't hide, don't cower, but open that book with your children, read it, discuss it, think about it, and work to impress it on them. Turn to Psalm chapter 78, verse 3. Psalm chapter 78, verse 3. And then I want you to think about one of the saddest verses in the Bible. Judges chapter 2, verse 10. So Psalm 78, 3, put your finger there. And then Judges chapter 2, verse 10. Psalm 78, verse 3 says this, What we have heard and know, what our fathers have told us, we will not hide from our children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power, and the wonders He has done. Now, I pray for Mike so much. He does such a great job teaching our students the word so that they can understand it, so that they can apply it. But I've been where he is, and I know there are some parents that have this mentality. Well, paying the youth minister, your job teach him the word. I'll get him there when it's convenient. You better teach him. They better be baptized and ready to go by the end of six years, buddy. Listen to me now. If these students who are normally right here only get the Word of God for 45 minutes on Sunday and 45 minutes on Wednesday. Guys, they spend more time in the bathroom every week. Do you understand? I'm I'm trying to make a serious point here. If they're not getting any more of the Word than that, how do you expect them to be here in 20 years? They won't. It's the parent's responsibility. The youth minister is a tool. He's an aid. We, we in Northside want to help you train this group. But if you don't do it, if you don't tell the next generation, how will they know? 
Now turn to the saddest verse in the Bible, Judges chapter 2, verse 10. Oh, this breaks my heart. After that, a whole other generation had been gathered to their fathers. Another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. How will they know unless someone tells them? It's our job to tell the old, old story from here, from our classrooms, but also in our homes as we go to bed at night, around the dinner table. It's our job to continually tell them. We're told in Romans that faith comes by hearing. My question to you is, what are your children hearing? And finally, apply them. James says, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but instead do what it says. As we think about this in our church family, we realize we've been doing the 90-day program and people have been sharing such cool things that you all are doing. I could never draw like this. This is from Carol Holmes' Bible, and she, she's got the strong and courageous. I think um, Tricia Weber is starting, is this right? She's starting a Bible drawing class. I used to get in trouble for stuff like that, but... There are these Bibles now with the large margins that people who have, you know, right now, people have, the people who have tuned out and they're drawing amazing pictures. This class is for you. Uh, but the, the, as they go through Scripture and they get these pictures in their mind, they draw things that remind them of the truth. And I got my little turtle from last week. But the, the whole point is this. What's happening in Carol Holmes's mind? She's impressing the Word of God there. She's reminding, if you're not a, a, an auditory person, if sor, sermons bore you, uh, get some visuals. Do some things to help you. Here's the, the Woodard family as they're reading through the scriptures. Guys, I love this. There's so much more going on here than you realize. I mean, you see reading, but there's discussion, they're discussing, there's questioning, there's explaining, there's learning. All of it is happening. Here's, here's Craig and Caleb. As they're reading through that day's reading, what do you see here? Asking, wondering, teaching, explaining, preparing. Reminds us that the days are short. That Craig won't always have this time to do this work. And parents, especially if you have children at home, these are the most important days. You say, oh, I wish I had done that when Caleb, when my children were Caleb's age. I wish I had, I wish I had done that. I wish I had done it all those years ago. Woe is me. All is lost. No. Now you still got today. You can start today. You can begin impressing your children now. So keep us posted. Let us know how it's going. Tag us in NorthsideCOCORG. If you're not in social media, I know that's hard to believe, but there might be a few of you. Send me an email. Give me a testimony. Send me a picture. Send me a text message. I don't even mind sharing my cell phone number. 316-641-2878. We want you to participate in this because we believe in the power of the word. And we believe we got to do more than just hear it from a guy for 40 minutes on a Sunday. We've got to hear it in our lives from the people that we love. So how do we do this? Secondly, beyond 
trusting the internalizing the instructions. Secondly, we have to trust the instructor. You see this book, right? But it's more than a book. It's the book. There are lots of books. Solomon said, at the making of books, there is no end. New books on Amazon every day. But this is the book. This is the word of God, inspired by God for his plans and his purposes. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says this. If you're drawing in your Bible, you want to draw a picture of a sword. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates, dividing to the soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Let this word cut you. Let it penetrate you. Let it sink deep to your soul. And let it carve you into the man or woman that God wants you to be. Why do we do this? Number one, his words have power. Genesis chapter 1, the whole, the whole chapter, I mean, if you're turning to Genesis chapter 1, if you try to just underline every single time the word says, and God said, and God said, and God said, and God said. And Genesis chapter 1, after every time God says something, something pretty amazing happens. The first one, and God said, let there be light. Light had never existed to that point. We have trouble even understanding it today, what exactly light is. But day one, God said, and it was. Every time God says something, every time God utters a word, there's power behind those words. I don't want you to forget that because if we just put this book on a shelf, we just carry it home, we just leave it in our car, we just ignore it, we stop, we we miss out on the power of God's word. Number two is words are always relevant. There's a there's kind of a trend. I'm not sure if it's still there or not, but the big thing was church has got to be more relevant. Well, if you want to be a relevant church, preach the word of God, because that is always going to be relevant. Second Timothy three sixteen and 17 says this. All scripture is God breathed. Now think, when you when you open this book, you're opening a book, and the scripture literally says when you're reading those words, you're reading words that God breathed. The same way he spoke in Genesis chapter one is the same words that convict us, change us, grow us up, save us by his word. All scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Clayton McCullough is one of our elders who does such a great job of this. I think all of our elders do, but I've just had a couple of personal interactions where he will sometimes take me to lunch or sometimes sit me down and just say, let's read this together. Because he understands that to be a good leader, he's got to stick to the word. And more importantly, now more than ever, he needs the guy who's preaching it to stick to the word. 
Now, that's not just something Clayton has doing now because he's an elder. He did that when he had two teenage daughters at home. And he was struggling, as all fathers of two teenage daughters might. But he would sit them down lovingly and gently as he could and say, let's look at the word. You want to know how to be a good parent or even a good leader. Just look at, just take Clayton to lunch, just have a discussion with him because he knows that his word is always relevant, useful for parenting, useful for family, useful for finances, useful for business. It is useful in every area of life. And finally, his words bring life. Now, you're going to turn to the Old Testament on this one. Isaiah chapter 55 is where we're going to be. Isaiah chapter 55 And the prophet there, remember, a prophet is simply a speaker of God's word. And Isaiah did it by direct revelation. Isaiah 55, verses 10 and following, he says, As the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return without watering the earth, making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word. That goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I have sent. I've told you several times about Shauna redoing my office. What I haven't told you is that if you go in there and look very closely on one wall is etched this scripture. And I love it. I read it every day and I'm reminded that my job is to do one thing. It's to bring the word. Because it's the word that brings the life. Now, life in Isaiah 55 is pictured with water. And as we think about what water does, the snow and the rain, all of that, what is the one purpose of it? Why do we start to get nervous when we don't have rain or snow for a long time? Because even with all of our modern technology, even with all of our crop sophistication, If it doesn't rain, we don't have life. I'm going to bring my crop technology specialist, Drew Lowry, up here. Because what I want to do for you is illustrate what what needs to happen at Northside, what needs to happen in our lives. Now, on a Sunday morning, I'm going to bring you the word. But I hope you're getting the word in lots of other places besides just here. But as you get the word, hold it right over there. And it's being poured into you. And then I need a couple of other gentlemen to come on up quickly. Because, because we got to be open to the word. But we also got to be overflowing with the word. It's got to overflow out of your life and into the lives of others. Now hurry up guys, we're overflowing like crazy down here. You see, there's two things that got to happen when we pour the word. We got to be open to it and we got to overflow with it. And if you're not overflowing in your life with the word of God, then you need to ask yourself one question. What is wrong with this picture? We want to be a people of the word because the word is the water which brings the life. And the life ought to overflow in us and through us so that we give life to others. Every Sunday we come together 
and we over, we, we are poured into. But it does no good if we just sit here and keep it and don't talk about it and don't share it and don't teach it and don't sit around our table with the children and talk about it. We got to overflow with it. Because where there is water, there is life. And where God's word dwells, life happens. And where life happens, God is glorified. You want to change some lives this week? Get in the word. Open yourself to the word and overflow with it. Thank you, gentlemen, for your help. Now, Bob Arrow, our maintenance guy, is going to have a fit with me. But God forbid, if you get offended by wet carpet and aren't offended by dry lives, Northside is going to be a place where we preach the word, not for my benefit, not for the benefit of those in leadership, but for your benefit, so that your cups may be open and overflowing to the power of God and his word. It's what brings the life. When Jeremiah, that young man in Arlington at Winterfest, when he heard the word of God, it was poured into him and he said, this is what I need to do. His word has power, always has and always will. Today, the word has been poured into you. My question is tomorrow, will you pour that word into anyone else? When we stick to his book, the result is always His blessing. Colossians 3, 16 and 17 says this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach, admonish with all wisdom, as you sing songs, hymns and spiritual songs with gratitudes in your heart to God. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Don't shy away from his book. Open your heart. And let it overflow in your life. Next week, we're going to talk about standing firm and talk about the biggest obstacle for people of faith. Tonight, we invite you to join us as we study the story of the leper. And I want to invite you, if you haven't ever opened your life and opened your heart to the power of God's word that's been inspired by him. Won't you let it be poured into you so you begin to overflow with his life? And his hope. If you'd like to know Christ, if you need to grow up in Christ, if you just need our prayers, please come forward. Myself or an elder will meet you as together we stand and sing.